thank you for joining me uh, this afternoon. This is um, another episode of, of Road to CPO, um, where for anybody watching, you might have seen a couple of episodes already. This is to detail the journey from, it could be from senior product manager, an IC role through to head of director. But if you're on that journey to CPO, hopefully um, we can discuss a few things here today and, and ask a few questions that, that might help everyone on their journey. And I'm joined by Tom Hopkins um, from Make Believe and, and former CPO of Experian. Um, so I suppose we'll start with 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 you. Um, tell us a little bit about about yourself and your journey. Yeah, thanks, Luke. So um, as you said, until relatively uh, recently, I was CPO at Experian Consumer Services. That's where people do uh, credit scores and reports. Uh, really large consumer brand, sort of over ten million. Um, customers signed up to their their free and paid services and I did that for a, uh, a very long time so I was at, at Experian for about um, nine years. Um, I was talking to someone the other day about kind of how you get how you end up being a, a CPO and it, it is for anyone my age my decrepit age it, it it's normally a kind of slightly uh, random story because of course when we started out the product role didn't exist at all so you end up coming coming up through other routes uh, before Experian, I, I was a consultant at a number of consultancies from innovation consulting company called Plux, now called Magnetic. Um, and prior to that, I was a, a, a big systems integration firm called uh, Conchango, which is now Dell Consulting, I think. Been through a number of changed hands a number, a number of times uh, since then. Uh, prior to that, I started an agency and actually did that for about 10 years as well. Uh, that that agency ended up being uh, VCCP Digital, um, and is now now part of the VCCP Group, great a great media group. Uh, and ridiculously, I got into that by being a magazine editor. Um, and one of our clients asked us if we could do their website for them, and then uh, the pieces kind of fell into place. So I think really I've been very lucky because you know you you find out when you get there that the job I really like is is product and is CPO. Uh, but as I said, didn't wasn't there when I started, and I've kind of ended up getting there via a very uh, uh, odd route like like most of us have. Just recently, um, uh, I left Experian and started a consultancy called Make Believe. And the idea behind that is using the tools and techniques that exist today. And I think some of the learnings that we've, that we've had over the last few years about product is trying to really get back to the basics of building products rapidly. You know, we spend a lot of time thinking and doing PowerPoint. Um, a lot of that time would be better spent actually building stuff, getting it in the market and learning how, how customers respond. I've, I've, as I said, I've only been doing that a few months, but we've been lucky enough to get a wide variety of, of clients. So, you know, at one end, I'm working with a, a company with about five employees um, and we've actually, we're going to, you know, fingers crossed, launch our, our, our first trial of that product this month. Um, we've really raced through that. Uh, and at the other end, I'm, I'm working with um, a financial services firm, a FTSE 250 financial services firm, um, who again is trying to do something really exciting. And, and I hope we get to do that um, without so much PowerPoint and, and really try and sort of get through to where customers are using it um, as soon as possible. Because everything else really is just talking um, and it's, it's best to get into action as quickly as possible. Yeah, wonderful. Sounds like you're doing some great things and great variety of clients as well from, from one end of the spectrum to the other. Fantastic. Yes, great fun. And it reminds you a lot of kind of what it's like to be hands on. You know, you might, you know, in, in Experian, there were lots and lots and lots of people and lots and lots of developers and so on. But to actually be right there at the coalface again after a long time is, is really interesting. 
So then, that that leads quite nicely into into a question that is always at the front of my mind when when talking to heads of or directors or even individual contributors at smaller companies who work a lot with you know the CEO or the board. What what's the difference between the levels on the rise to CPO? I mean, you you, you said your journey was a little unorthodox compared to the modern senior PM, head of, whatever it might be. Um, and now you've stepped back into more of a hands-on role, but you're still you're still coming at it from a senior angle. So how would you define the differences between kind of head of, director of, CPO? How do people know when they're there? Well, I mean, I think it, it on one level it's to do, like seniority in firms, and this can be very frustrating, I recognise this can be very frustrating for people as they kind of uh, work their way through it. Um, is about your authority and your, your ability to get stuff done. And th there's some kind of general skills that you'll tend to see in, in executives, which are obviously part of the CPO role um, in terms of being able to think very broadly, in terms of being able to influence and so on. Um, but it, it, in, in product in particular, um, the, the mindset you've got to get your head around if you're shifting out of a, a head of role into like a director role or a CPO role, um, is that you're moving beyond, you know, and actually it can be quite useful to go back to the fundamentals of product and, and agile and so on, where we, you know, in our first jobs or in one of our early jobs, we're working in a, in a small team, like a 10 person team, and we're trying to get it all working and, and uh, operating smoothly and trying to get it delivering customer value sort of as, as uh, predictably as possible and as repeatably as possible. But in a, in a 10 person team, that's about blockers and it's about bringing the customer in. It's about uh, holding off some of the business requirements and uh, or business pressures and so on. The same is true, but in a CPO role, just on a much bigger scale. So you, again, you're thinking about a system, but it's a much more complicated system. So you're thinking about how multiple teams will interact with each other. You're thinking about how multiple roadmaps will come together uh, and be fulfilled. And you're thinking about a huge amount of stakeholders. So you're moving from you know, I need to get X done to, you know, the share price, understanding how the business uh, is operating, what it needs, what it needs to do in a startup, what it needs to do to get its next funding round and so on. Um, but in a way, you need to also be able to go all the way back to the start, which is the real fundamentals of product, which is, you know, are we are we adding value for a customer? Are we servicing a customer need? Is the team I'm working with from a technology perspective actually able to progress? Are they wasting a lot of their time spinning their wheels uh, and that sort of thing. And then kind of what's the very obvious kind of, you know, business benefit of, of everything we do. Um, and it's, there's a, there's a the painful bit really for, for young, I say younger, but people who early on in their careers is it's quite hard to know quite, you know, quite what it's like to, to take that broader view until you've, until you've had it. Of course, when you get to, when you get to that CPO level and you've got, well, die. I'm assuming someone like Experian, you would have had VPs report into you or directors report into you. Um, how involved were you still with people at the PM and senior PM level? Were were you still making sure that you were interactive with them and and not on their case, but you you had an idea firsthand what was going on with that team, or, or was it? Did you just leave it to the reporting line? 
Yeah, so I mean, Experian's a, a, a great firm for product and 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 for you know, I don't know what you call it, HR, but in terms of organisational principles and so on, it's a really positive people-first business, um, no doubt at all. And it's a it's a relatively flat structure. Um, I think you you sort of, what one of the things you sort of alluded to is the sort of trap that exists uh, as you move up the ladder. So it, you know, as you get into a management role. Um, that you kind of it's weird like you get these people you know they might even have the trainers and the beard and the t-shirts and the rest of it and they get uh, you know they're quite modern in their thinking um but then they get into a management role and they turn into their grandparents do you know what i mean they become like kind of like micromanager and they they become someone who thinks that their job is supervising other people and you know i hope i never get to that situation in my life where i kind of feel that way i think if you're a more senior product person it's your job, as I said before, to try and optimize the performance of the system. And so what you're really hoping to do is to make sure that all of the product people who, who you're looking after um, really have the skills and the right approach and the right kind of energy um, to be really kind of strong product people themselves, not, not particularly how they will solve task A or task B or task C. You know, I mean, again, it's not new information, but managers who try and do that who try and kind of review all the work of their as the people working for them kind of belonging production line or something in a factory i think you know if you're in a knowledge workspace you really are very much trying to uh, bring people along why so i think, think why, why do you think people fall into that trap as they as they progress well i think we can sometimes when we're early on in our careers we can see having staff or having people that report to you uh, as a you know a step along the way as a kind of end in itself so you know i mean i, I can't i've lost count of the number of times i've heard in annual reviews you know and not just experience everywhere i think it's a human nature thing um you know what's your ambition for the next year and people will say well i want to manage people and you'll end up and i've seen it and again not experience because it's quite switched on like this but i've seen firms where like this one manages that one manages this one manages that one do you know what I mean <laughs> this is kind of reporting line just got like a hundred people deep and uh, no breadth to it at all I, I think if you want to manage people in order to um uh in order to tick it off on your cv or because it because it kind of is going to make you make you your ego inflate then you're, you're probably looking in the wrong places like yeah. you really want to be in a position where you can coach people to um to be able to deliver great work because because the experience of doing that work in that way is really rewarding for them um, and because you're passionate about how product can work i think when you you know if you've started out and worked your way through and worked in a team um, and seen how how great it can be when you've got you know the whole system kind of really working um, that's just really motivational in and of itself um, so yes yeah, so I, th I think there's a bit of a trap there into there's a kind of separate question um, in what you asked, which is how much should you be on, on top of the detail? Um, now, my, my personal view is um, is you need to with, resist the temptation to micro. Whilst resisting the temptation to micromanage, you should absolutely know the detail. Uh, and there's two reasons for that. One is because I think as a product person, it, you, if you're a good product person, you're typically fascinated by how things work and how they all fit together. Um, yeah. And so I personally just, you know, I'm keen to understand it. And as I say, whilst resisting temptation to, to micromanage as the main thing. The second thing is frankly, and you, you might get lucky and this might not happen to you, but if you want to progress, and we sort of hinted at this earlier through an organization, 
you're going to be spending a lot of time and more and more time with people who are senior to you. And those people are going to ask you questions. And then they're going to expect you to know the answer. And it, whether it's rational or not, you know, yeah, I've seen it hundreds of times. You get someone who's a head of, for example, a product. They've got maybe three or four product managers under them. They get asked a question by the boss. Like, and it could be anything from like, is this working or how does this work or how could we improve this? And they just don't know because they don't know the detail. Um, and as I say, that's, that's probably not a great um, thing in terms of progression. It's not a great thing in terms of confidence, frankly. And certainly when you're the CPO, you have to both know that stuff, I think, um, plus become really, really good at avoiding answering those questions when you don't know that stuff. <laughs> uh, and then very quickly finding out the answers and making sure you kind of fill in the gaps afterwards. Where do CPOs go for... Um... For advice, I mean, it, it's not this isn't just relevant to CPOs, it would be CEOs as well and, and COOs. But once you're at the, the top of the pile for your function, for your specialty, as, as you've just said, everyone will be asking you questions, expecting you to, to have all of the answers. And it's not always that simple. You could have all the detail in front of you, but the answer might not be really obvious. So who do you... Who do you speak to without trying to lose face, so to speak? Oh, well, I think that there's two answers to that question. So the first sort of simplistic answer in terms of like, if I want to, let's say I was a CPO and there's some new technology and I didn't really know how it worked. Um, or I wanted to know what the, you know, and, uh, they will, everyone will have done this with bloody AI right, recently. Yeah. So, so one, one answer is consultants, right? You can, that's what they're for. You can bring them in and they'll, they'll fill in the gaps and tell you that. And I've learned a huge amount from consultants. We used to, we had a couple of brilliant um, consultants, for example, when we were doing, uh, changing over to a different agile framework. I couldn't, I suppose I could have read the books, but that, they were, they were really incredibly helpful. And, and it's great to be able to just go out and ask someone a question. They'll tell you the answer. I wouldn't hide that. I'm, I'd be totally open about that. You, you sort of said like, or suggested that you'd lose face by, by asking people. I think you lose face by not asking people. I, I mean, I, I love it when, you know, we're sitting in, you know, PI planning or whatever with the whole team. I just I just ask questions. I love to be in the position where the teams are explaining stuff to me. And, that, that you know, I've met so many brilliant developers and they, especially developers, also product people, just love it. And the really good ones will happily uh, take time to explain it to you. It might take a couple of goes. Not all of them are naturals, but, you know, I, I, th I don't think there's anything... Um, to be ashamed about and actually it points to the reality of most organizations which is there's this huge sea of knowledge at the level of people who are writing the code and writing the backlogs and doing the work and if you try and isolate yourself from it it's a not you know it's not a good thing it, it's it's going to it's going to move you away from from the problem and yeah. the consumer problem yeah i completely agree the, the reason that popped into mind is because there's um there's a company I, uh, that we, we've worked with in the past that have set up a, a network for CEOs because CEOs often have to report directly to the board and if yeah. the board's asking you something. And it, it just got me thinking of, of how how the rest of it's... Um, and I think that's right. There are there's some really good, I mean, there's some really good, you'll know about them as well, sort of CPO type forums and groups, um, net, networks. Um, I, I think, it, you know, it's great to be, it's great to be reaching out to peers uh, like that, I was lucky in a way in, in experience because there's different sort of countries, markets, and so on, uh, different divisions in the UK. So again, we had other people we could go and speak to and sort of bounce ideas off as well. Um, nice. 
Yeah, and you will and you will hear stuff like even if you don't want to, that, you know, if you if you're in an open organisation that comes up through heads of product or product um, directors and so on as well. I think I think you um, there was something you said. He said, look, I'd just be transparent with it. I'd just be open with it. And I think there's, um, I suppose it's, you've got to have the right mentality to do that. I mean, I, I'm a very transparent person. If I don't know something, you best believe I'm going to ask the question. Uh, or I'm going to go and try and find it out, come to the table with something and see if that was the right place to look and then ask questions. Um, but it's not something that everybody has. And I think that stems from... I want, I'm going to coin the phrase because everybody's using it, you know, imposter syndrome. And, right. and maybe being in a position where you're like, right, okay, this is what I've always wanted. I know I should be here, but should I be here? Because I don't quite have all the answers that I, I thought I should. And I think imposter syndrome plays a big part in people not being transparent and not being, um, just not, yeah, just not being honest uh, with, with other people. And I think that stems from, a specific you, you've got to be in the right mindset and the right mentality for it um how big are, the right, and the right organization as well i think yeah, um yeah. you know a different some organizations are a little bit more toxic and and there would be a, a genuine issue with sort of discussing those sorts of things yeah sorry you're gonna ask us no no that's that's fine was, was imposter syndrome ever something that that irked in with you yeah i mean i of course i mean i think that's a, that's the kind of first thing isn't it that is that everyone kind of gets it i've i've been lucky to to know personally some you know quite a few ceos and so on and they're just the same do you know what i mean they, they turn up and they're going to go like, and actually again it's a bit it would it's probably more worrying if you do actually find one one without imposter syndrome that's probably the when you should be concerned right because they're clearly a <laughs> if it hasn't occurred to them that they don't that they might not know something um then then be worried but i think you have also got to kind of say listen i do know this stuff um you know it's quite funny like as i say that i started a a a new project um uh relatively recently um as part of make believe and and i was sort of saying to uh, my wife like this is this is actually a bit like one of the ones we did three or four years ago and that was quite hard and she said yeah but you know you did it and and it and it was a success in the end and I think it's quite easy for us to to forget, you know, it's it's the thing I said I said to someone recently actually. It's very difficult to remember what it was like not to know something. So what I mean by that, and that's actually it, it a means that you can forget you can forget how much you've learned because you you don't remember what it was like when you looked at this stuff and went, I've got no idea at all how to do it. But it's the stuff that comes naturally now, um, which would have been a mystery in the past. And then the other thing is, you know, not everyone knows what you know, and I think it can be quite easy to forget that. So often you do need to spend a bit more time up front taking people along because of that that thing that, you know, you're not, it's not easy to put yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't doesn't know something. But no, I'm, you know, like all people, you know, I get imposter syndrome. Um, I think I think it's really it's really kind of standard. But the, but the, you know, I come back to just thinking about how many projects or things I've done which have been very similar to what I'm working on and and knowing that that you know any if you get a good group of people and get everyone motivated you can you can achieve virtually anything yeah it's a, and it's a 
good point. I kind of take an A point that you, I don't know if you meant to explicitly make it or not, but it's just about, you know, bringing people through. And I think sometimes, I mean, you're, you're completely right. I mean, it, it, it's not just, um, it's not just isolated to product. I mean, when we get trainees here and, and new people in here and they ask me questions and I'm not, more often than not, I've got the answer that I know they should be given. But it does get you thinking about the whys. Well, actually, hold on. Why Why are we doing it that way? Or they might ask why. You think, why are we doing it that way? We could change that. We could make this a lot smoother. Or we do this because, and you just reaffirm your own knowledge, which momentarily, it doesn't last forever, but does aid with the imposter syndrome. Um, yeah. Mind the flicker of fear that, that comes across with it. And so, yeah, there are, there are plenty of times when I'm sat there thinking, Right, okay, so I've got to do this, 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 and this from my directors. But actually, I've then got people asking me questions. I've got things going on. Um, and it's not until you sit down and, and like you say, help someone through it that you do go, I do know this. No, I have got this. No, this is right. Okay, right, we're back in the room. We are back. And it's only half past five, half an hour left of the day for me to do my best work. Brilliant. Um, no, exactly. And you'll get there again tomorrow morning. But it's it's part of kind of day to day life in knowledge work in particular, because it's not so obvious that you get the next challenge that comes up, you're going to be able to meet. But you will. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, completely. And so that's that we've done imposter syndrome. And, and you mentioned um, another trap was micromanagement that people fall into. Where else? I mean, were there any traps that you. In hindsight fell into on your on your journey or that you saw other any mistakes or, or any mistakes uh, that people make that you think well actually if i hadn't done that i would have achieved more in that period that someone could learn from uh, well i mean so the in terms of career progression uh, that's one thing in terms of product in general um it's been interesting looking at different organizations the last few months, thinking back to you know the places I've worked and, and places I'm working with now. The number one, it's kind of like so ridiculously simple um, that you think it doesn't need saying, but the number one problem that organizations have with product is prioritization. And like it, it's become such a, a sort of painful point to look at from the outside. It's It's the sort of thing that, you know, an 18 year old, as you said, could spot. Um, and certainly I've worked in companies where the entire technology team has spotted it and they spot it every day. And they, they tell you all the time, but the product people don't always manage to overcome it. And so what I mean by that is it's in any company, let's say you've got 100 developers in the company, there's a real temptation to try and do too much stuff. And even if you don't, even if you don't have an ambitious roadmap, um, it happens anyway. It creeps in from every direction. It is it's like weeds. The, you'll get work just arrive onto the onto the backlog from from all these different directions. So compliance will do it. Um, you know, people trying to kind of make their build their careers will will do it. Um, but you also get this this odd effect that I've seen where. You'll set a team up to solve problem X, you know, whatever the problem X is. So, so problem X is making a cup of tea. They'll make the cup of tea. 
And then at the end, they'll devise a system to make a better cup of tea. Do you know what I mean? They'll end up creating their own backlog of work to do in that in that space. So let's say you've got a billing team. They're never gonna they're never gonna come up to you and say, "Oh, finish with billing." Do you know what I mean? This they'll actually they'll actually go away and generate a roadmap for billing. Um, and it's probably all good stuff, but it's it's probably not also being prioritised against what the business is trying to do. And and again, this speaks to where we started out this conversation about thinking about the whole system and trying to think about you know how the organization works as a system uh, and i can't think of any one thing i would push more strongly as a cpo than the need to just be insanely ruthless with priority um and to do that requires all sorts of other skills because it will make you kind of hyper unpopular if you don't do it right and it will it will give give the wrong impression to all sorts of people but businesses which really focus on what on on a few things are, are so much more successful and they're so much more i think happy because if you're ever if you've ever been on the team working on priority six you'll realize that you're never going to get anywhere so the whole experience of working on that team is pretty rubbish um and so you people think that they're doing everyone a favor by having seven priorities but actually they're not they're really creating a kind of unpleasant environment for everyone except for team one and team two so so i'd say that you know prioritization in product is is the key thing um i think you were hinting a little bit as well about career progression i think i think you know a lot a lot of people when they get to the head of level get really really impatient for um the director level um and uh, you know i can certainly see why people want to progress in their careers but they probably don't think enough about what they look like from outside so you can just be a brilliant person with some of the skills in the job like you can be brilliant at god knows backlogs and working with the teams and you can be brilliant at doing annual appraisals and so on but when someone is going to create a product director role and put you in it or a cpo role and put you in it they want someone who can um they feel has got like a, a hyper passion and can define the strategy for the business and they want someone who can take that passion and present it to stakeholders in a really really compelling way um, and they and they want someone who can step back from the day-to-day -day, um, as well as being good at the day-to-day -day. Um, and that's quite different you think then that i mean i've i've made the case previously that there will be heads of product or directors of products that they have that by title they feel like they're a cpo because maybe they're a smaller organization or they're doing some of a traditional cpo remit um but it's not until they i've made the case that it's not until they step into that cpo role that they go oh pennies dropped yeah this is a completely different kettle of fish would it be also fair to say that i've overlooked that a little bit and it's not really it's not really title is it it's more what you're doing then as that you could you could have a head of product title and in theory, still be doing a CPO role if you're at a company of 60 or 100? Or do you, do you think that my first assumption was correct? Well, I mean, there's in every role, there's people who get, you know, the company wants to avoid giving them a pay rise or whatever, so they give them a title bump. And then you see these poor sods and they can never get a job anywhere else. Um, and they can certainly never get promoted any further because they haven't really understood what it what it is to get to that, that next role. Um, you know, I've, again, I've certainly interviewed people for product director roles um, and, and found heads of product who are, you know, kind of uh, people who, who'd be quite happy at that level kind of um, 
bumbling along. I think just it's obviously see, being the most senior product person in your organization doesn't make you a, a CPO. Uh, and maybe that's a really ob- obvious thing to say, but until you, you know, you've got to have the vision for the entire product, you've got to be able to represent it to the most kind of senior uh, senior people. You've got to think about how the whole system works together. You've got to be a peer with like the CTO and the CMO. Um, but yeah, it's kind of it's it's a kind of different environment. I mean, as I say, I've been working with a startup. Um, it it's not quite so you know, clear in that organization. I'm trying to think what it would be like if I was acting more like a head of product. I, you know, I, I certainly challenge the founder and an MD on, on all of the product decisions and so on. And I feel I've got complete control over that when I'm, when I'm acting in that role. So I, I think it's, it's again, it's it's painful and people hate hearing it, but it, you need to have a level of experience about yeah. how to do some of those difficult conversations. Which I, which I think was... Um... But that that was my initial initial thought. It wasn't until I spoke to somebody last week uh, who's got a head of title. They were a VP in their previous company. They're doing a lot of board level work, working with the board, and they they are fully responsible for the strategy and the vision and and fit like pushing back. Let's be honest, pushing back to the founder or the CEO because that's yeah. what that, that's what a product person is. Somebody that can and this was and this was quoted from a, a CPO I know being. Being a, a good head of product or director or CPO is about pissing people off and saying no, but doing it in a way that makes them respect you and still get stuff done because you you still drive the outcomes that, that are needed. Um, yeah. So that that's that's kind of where my thought process went with that. I think that is a good summary because you know. Uh, People don't want someone who just says yes to everyone because then they're like, oh my God, I was only just saying it. I didn't, <laughs> you know, like they, want, they want someone who's going to challenge. But also anyone who's worked in a proper big company will realise that, you know, what I just said, which is take, trying to do five things when you can only do two is, is just toxic. So they need someone else to be the guy going, no, no, or the lady going, no, we're not doing this, 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 and this, and this for these good reasons. Um, because we're going to do these things first, and that, and that is tough. Because in a lot of organisations, people define themselves. This is the wrong way around. People define themselves by their projects getting delivered. And actually, what needs to happen is obviously they need to go and work on a project that can be delivered. And again, this speaks to the whole system. How do you, as CPO, as part of the management team, arrange the company so that you're not you're not doing it that way? We've all seen it. You know, it's like. Johnny's in charge of Initiative X and Initiative X isn't making any progress. So Johnny's not making any progress. Well, that's that's not right, because if Initiative X is not being prioritised by senior management, he can't, the person running it or the, he or she can't win. They can't make progress. It's not no. about them. No, brilliant, brilliant insight. The, um, how, going off, just veering off ever so slightly, something that we discussed or my director discussed on his road to CIO um podcast was he did, he did a whole episode on on domain experience for a cio and given the the breadth of your experience in different areas but also having a non-traditional rise to cbo as well how important was do you think domain knowledge is when you're at the top do you need to have um, and can you can you acquire it when you're in the role or is it no it's just a product mindset 
and you, that you can put that to any domain or tech. No, no, I mean you need it, and um, I, I actually think as a as a group of people, product have really kind of drifted way too far away from away from it. So, you know, I, I actually think in in general we all need to be getting closer, not just to the domain stuff, but also some of the you know, in some of the technology, and you know, I'm talking really about people who work in technology related businesses, but I suppose every business has a technology of some sort. Um, I, I think it's really easy to kind of leave that within the technology or you know, the CTO sphere. Um, but actually, the, the more you can be interested in and engage with and ideally experienced in technologies in detail, I think the better you're going to be. So if you go back to the, you know, what all product people are trying to do, they're trying to bring the customer in from the outside. You, you that that never changes. You know, even if you're a CPO or whether you're a product owner, you've got to be able to do that. You're trying to make the technology and delivery function really efficient and uh, predictable, repeatable. That never changes. Um, and you need to obviously understand the business priorities. And actually, that just becomes more and more and more the, the higher up the organization you go, the more senior you, your title. So no, I think I think everyone in product should be expecting to continue to learn that stuff and develop that stuff throughout their whole career. But again, for me, that's that's like um it that's great because I would I would hate to try and do the job without knowing that stuff. I think it fits a little bit into that becoming a manager kind of topic it's not i don't i don't ever really want to be in a position as a product person that i just feel like i'm managing other people who are doing doing the work anyway so no i think i think you do need to to cultivate and develop that domain experience and it's not that hard if you're if you're really interested in the problems that your consumers have and you're really interested in the technology and what the development teams are working on then you'll you'll learn it anyway you'll pick it up really really quickly and it won't feel like work because you're because no. you're enjoying it. I think no, totally. Yeah, it's fascinating. Topics are fascinating. when you when, if you really choose to try and solve a problem, it, it becomes fascinating. Getting yourself into the right mindset where you are obsessed with something um, and and passionate about it is is the hard bit. Once you're there, yeah, as you say, you know everything about it. You learn about it really quickly. Yeah. Nice. But what um, looking at the, I mean, we. we just for anybody watching, I'm going to say this, and it might get edited out. It might not. I don't know. But we, we obviously come to the table with a, a few questions um, in mind, and how how to go around it. And this has been this has been fantastic because this hasn't felt like a right. Here, here's the question that I wanted to ask, and here's the other question I wanted to ask. And the questions that I thought I'd be asking around this time, you've already answered. You know, I think the the um, not the, I think there was one about is there anything that, that people can do, anything that people can focus on, like a bit of a tick list when you're at a certain level to go, right, how yeah. do I get to, to product director now I'm ahead of? How do I get to CPO now I'm a director and, and so on and so on? Um but actually your your description of you know focusing on prioritization, the looking at the businesses, the system, the you know, pushing back, everything's kind of incorporated. The if I asked you that question, you'd just say the same stuff, wouldn't you? Or is there? Would there be anything else that you think people could do? Well, so it certainly it certainly brings me back to you know people asking this question. It's you you, you if you're managing uh, head head of product uh, people or, or people in that sort of level, 
they're, they're obviously going to be asking about it quite a bit. I think you've got to, it's really hard to do. I think you've got to try and figure out how you're perceived externally. What's your reputation in the business? Um, now, of course, sometimes the, the, the whole act of being ahead of will uh, sort of slightly screw you up for progression because you will have been like fighting your corner for God knows what, you know, widget X that you were doing. You'll be the widget X one, the guy, the guy or the girl who did widget X. Um, you need people to think of you more broadly as someone who thinks about the whole system. But you need to have obviously done that in a really collaborative way um, along along the way. I think if you can demonstrate um, that you always take a, you know, you always take a step back and look at things from a consumer's point of view, um, that will stand you in good stead. Frankly, the people who are going to be choosing whether to promote you or not are going to be thinking, can I work with this person? Will being in a group with this person, like a leadership team with this person, be like really uh, energizing and positive, or is it going to be kind of really painful and so on? So, some of the negative behaviors which can, which you do see arising in kind of middle management in companies like politicking or uh, playing people off or being negative about people, or frankly, being negative about bosses and, and company direction. I'm not saying that everyone should be, you know, some kind of you know, handmaid's tale kind of follower. But, you know, I think have you sort of uh, approached things in a really positive way? Have you always tried to kind of move yourself on? And there's an there's an age-old adage, um, which kind of such a cliche, it's kind of almost not worth saying again, which is, you know, dress for the job you want, not the job you've got. So start acting a bit like you would do if you were the CPO, but not without kind of just trying to undermine your boss or whatever. But just start some of those behaviours. How would you be really positive? How would you try and look not at the individual circumstances or problem, but at the system that you're a part of? How would you how would you change the system rather than just push something through and so on? Um, and then also just look to see what are the skills. And, and this is a really tactical thing to say, right? But you'll often look at your management team and they'll be really good at this and this and this, but they won't be so good at this. Like they wouldn't be, maybe they're really great at, product roadmap but they're not so good at you know the business case or the business case fulfillment or um the marketing strategy or whatever or is there a gap in like bridging two different bits of the organization which you could do and and then go off and do it you know really executives and organizations solve problems for the organization so you need to have demonstrated how you can spot a problem in the organization and and solve it ideally without too much prompting and that's going to feel like a tall order for most people i mean as you progress through any job you end up kind of like being told what to do by your boss and actually what the business wants to see is someone who can off their own back like really get something done fix something improve something so you know how can you do that whilst whilst you know being really collegiate and uh, and doing it in a really collegiate way it's a, i don't envy people it because it is a bit competitive with your peers and at the same time, you don't want to get tagged for being competitive with your peers. So it is a really careful balance. Um, yeah. But there's not very many senior jobs and there's a lot of people that want them. Yeah, definitely more so now, I think, than ever before. Um, yeah. we're, certainly, we're certainly seeing that in the market and uh, not even with people looking for new jobs, just where they are, um, hanging on to hanging on for that kind of next step up when actually 
it may or may not be there as well. Um, and, often, and often you do have to move to do it. Uh, and I think, that, you know, yeah. because you, you may be just because you've got, you're so well known. You could even be really well known for a good thing, but you could just be so well known for this thing that you're never going to be taken seriously for something broader. Yeah, very true. Would you, in your experience, have you ever seen it where somebody's so good at their, at what they're doing that you don't want to, move, not you personally, but the company's not wanting to move them up or give them more opportunity because actually they don't want to have to replace them there. I've not seen that, but what I have seen, um, because I think firms would typically go through the mindset of, well, if I don't promote them, they will leave, so I have to promote them. Um, you know, but often that can be quite painful because again, if creating roles is typically difficult in large organisations. What I've definitely seen is person X is amazing in their current role um, and so they think they should be amazing in the next roll up, but they don't actually have the behaviours for the next roll up. But they, but no one ever wants to give them any bad news because they're so good at running X, right? Yeah. That you don't want the, you don't want to annoy them and have them leave, and so you end up with this kind of awkward dance where people don't say to them, "No, well, you're not going to ever get promoted because you don't have this behaviour or that behaviour." So I've, seen, I've certainly seen that happen in organisations where people are kind of stuck by being like really good at, at a limited thing. And that that's just got to come down to communication, right? I mean, if if you're going back to something you said at the very start, if you're transparent with someone, yeah, I just maybe I'm wrong. I don't own this business, so maybe my perception's a little sheltered, shall we say? But I think um, I think for the individual, what they need to do is to find someone who will tell them the truth. Now, that might well be their manager if their manager is really progressive, but you've got to bear in mind that for their manager, it's going to tell them, like, it's really hard to give people these sorts of hard truths. And you, and so you'd have to be motivated to do it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of managers just won't, won't do it. I mean, I've seen people at all levels of uh, different companies walk away from telling people hard realities about their performance. Um, so I think for people who've been, let's say, trying to get to the next level for years and, they, and they're not getting there and they don't know why, they need to be able to find someone who will tell them the truth. And that could easily be a colleague, a trusted colleague. It could be a coach from outside of the business. It's going to be harder for that person to find out why. They might, they might be able to kind of guess a little bit. But, yeah, it's a, it's a real toughie. You need to kind of get to the bottom of it. And it can be... As I say, it could be something that you're going to find it hard to get out of your line manager. Yeah. So it's worth trying to get someone external or someone outside of your direct group in your company, maybe, and say to them, listen, what what is it? Um, and, and this happens at all levels. I've seen this happen at kind of divisional CEO level. They can't work out why they're not making the next step and they've had to go to external, external consultants to, to find that out. It does... Um... It does seem strange to me. Like I've I've always, and this is going completely off topic, but I've always been the kind of person to to think I don't really I don't really mind if people don't like me. But yeah, I don't think it's about liking. But as long as they respect what I'm saying to a degree, and I'm not I'm not saying they have to respect me, but I, I will be honest. I'm not yeah. I'm not ruthless with my honesty, but I'll always be I'll always be as honest as I possibly can. If somebody doesn't like it. I don't mind that because whether they realise it now or six months time, they'll respect the fact one day, hopefully, that that I've been able to 
be that transparent with them. Um, it's tricky though, isn't it? Because sometimes it's a soft skill or it's a certain attitudinal thing. Uh, and sometimes, again, you know, sometimes even when you tell someone the thing, like if, even if you, like, let's say I'm the person's boss and they say to me, why am I not getting promoted? And I'll be like, oh, well, it's because of these three reasons. If you haven't got, I mean, this is kind of back to the same point about experience. If you're not experienced, you might not really understand what it means to be a, a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, right. I mean, again, this is sort of this word that we use, but you sort of say this person doesn't think strategically. How am I going to get that person to think strategically? Is it, is is that it true that everyone can do that, that everyone has that skill? How will they know that they've got there? Um, and, you know, I've, I've been in situations with people who are desperately, desperately to be promoted, and actually um, relatively recently with one who did eventually get promoted. Um, and the only way to get them there was to tell them these things that they found it really, really hard to hear. And more importantly, that they found it really, really hard to change. And, you know, incredible credit to um, people when they can change things. And I've seen it happen. But I think it's probably the exception. I mean, it's it, again, we're, we're talking about some quite subtle things about behaviours, attitudes, uh, perception of the person, how they come across. They can be really quite difficult things to move. And they require the employee to, like, really dig in. And I, I, as I say, I, I, I'll, I'm always impressed when people do, but I'm not exactly surprised when they can't. No, it's definitely not a quick fix. It takes an awful lot of self-awareness and hard work to to just make the subtlest of changes. But it's but if you do then get into the routine of doing it for long enough, I suppose this goes back to the mindset of if you're ahead of and you you start adopting some VP level kind of responsibilities and you're making yourself aware, you start doing it sm- like a small amount, piece by piece. The compound effect of just adding something new in, working on it, and having that consistency with it pay dividends in in and and it's hard because it's not something you can go on a two-day course for and and again so you can progress from product owner owner to certified product owner to senior product owner to product manager to the head of product and you go great okay what's next and unfortunately the next step isn't the same as all the previous steps of just like being alive and doing stuff and going on courses it's about like t- uh, kind of like more seismic shift in attitude and approach and so on. And I think that's, that is why people find it hard. And of course, there's the fact that just it is, you know, there's fewer jobs at that level. And so the competition is, is harder. It's fiercer, much fiercer. And yeah. um, final, final piece of uh, final question, final piece of advice, I'm sure. Anybody watching that's at a head of level or even if they're at a senior PM level, what? Scrap that. I'm going to. We'll edit that out. And um, somebody that's new to a CPO role is taking oh, yeah. the first steps into maybe they've been doing it a month, maybe it's their first day. What do you think? And I don't like to coin the old 30, 60, 90 day approach, but what do you think their inbox and to do list should look like coming into a CPO role that you think could help? could help them further down the line? Is there something they need to come in and go, right, now I'm in this seat, I've got to do this and this and this? Yeah, no, totally. So, I mean, I assume what you're talking about is that you turn up at a new firm as CPO, because I think actually one of the hardest things can be progressing to being CPO in the firm you're already in. But if One would assume that if you progress, well, I'm making the assumption based on what we've discussed already, if you progress CPO in the same company, you've already demonstrated some kind of aptitude to 
Oh, totally. But I think if you if if you do progress to CPO in the company you're already in, then you've actually got to like really um, be quite decisive in in the first six months about what you stand for, rather than what your predecessor stood for. It's actually quite hard to make your mark because obviously you've spent a long time working under someone else and kind of nodding along with their thing. And uh, you know you you want to have your own way of doing things, which is distinctively yours. I think if you're starting in in a new company, that's that's easier um, in a way and and cleaner. And and again, you need to make sure that you you will have authority from the fact you've been appointed and you're new, and you've got an opportunity for a relatively limited period to actually set things up correctly. And if you let things drift, um, you'll regret it. So um, you need to look at your team, how they're working. You need to look at the systems, and you need to look at the the key partnerships that you have, and that's probably with technology, but could also be with marketing, could well be with finance. Um, it's very often a kind of strong link between uh, product and finance. And obviously you'll have a relationship with the CEO um, if you're not the CEO yourself. So I think come in and have a look. And again, your life will be um, much harder if you don't resolve earlier some of the problems. You know, So I, I would have a look at the team, who needs, you know, who 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 do you actually want to be there? What skills do you need in the team? How do you want the structure to exist and so on? Um, so I think very early on, you want to be starting to think about how you get to the structure that's going to work for you in, in the organisation. Um, and that could be how you structure your own team, but also how you structure everything else. So how you're going to actually run the organization, the cycles, uh, and all the rest of it. So now, I mean, it, it's an in- daunting, but incredibly difficult time. And as we spoke about before, you're going to be spending the same, unless you're lucky enough to have moved from one industry to exactly the same industry in a different firm, you're going to be spending a lot of that that first six months working out how the hell XYZ industry, XYZ firm works. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, don't take it lightly. It's not, um, it's going to be the hardest part is the first six months setting up how you want everything to work and establishing um, your control. Because, you know, it's not a given. You've got to turn up and you've got to demonstrate to people that you've got a really clear view on how things are going to go, um, what the company's going to be doing. Um, So, you know, try and keep the compromises to a minimum, especially if the compromise is about prioritisation. You want to be showing people really early on that you're going to be brutal with priority. They'll thank you for it. I mean, maybe not at the time, but they will eventually. That's brilliant. Well, I've really, really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for putting your time aside to, to speak with me. So I really loved it. And um, best of luck with, with everything with Make Believe. It sounds like you're doing some great things already. Is that the plan now to just continue to grow and grow and grow with the, that consultancy? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's been amazing to work with such a variety of clients so far. So um, I've got a couple of other sort of conversations going on but I uh, you know I'd love to I'd love to bring in a wider you know really wide variety of clients different sizes as well not just big ones um and, and work with them on on the product agenda so yeah definitely for the next uh, five years or so that's my plan fantastic well look I'll, I'll be well this isn't the only time we're going to speak this isn't the last time we're going to speak so I'll certainly be uh following that journey as well and I'm sure people watching one as well so thank you so much <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,